Welcome to the Potion Podcast, your raw look at the hospitality industry, brought to you by SHC. What has happened in Post Shifters? Welcome back to another episode of the Post Shift Podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Sean Sewell. Um, I'm hoping you're enjoying your week. I am a little bit behind doing my Post Shift Podcast for this week for the shot on Tuesday. I've just had a busy week with photos and whatnot. So I'm, I'm going to be rolling that out fairly shortly as well. But I hope you enjoyed last week's episode with David Wondrich. Uh, I really enjoyed that one. I loved it. Um, but today, I am glad that this gentleman actually answered my emails after I ghosted him for about three weeks because I got busy and then he was busy and I uh, completely dropped the ball on uh, whether or not <laughs> we can actually do this episode. Um, but I really want to get into the story because as most of my uh, listeners know, the cool thing is, is that we talk about hospitality, we talk about mental health, we talk about entrepreneurship, we talk about everything on the show. So we're going to do everything. Plus, like he got an opportunity to write a book during the pandemic, which I know how that feels. Because if you if you're bored, why not write a book? Because that's what I did during the pandemic. Um, so yeah, this is Sed Moses from LA, and I'm really looking forward to that. He has 25 bars right now across three states in the US, which is just incredible. So uh, let's get into it. Good morning. Good morning, Sean. I hope that was a, I hope that was a decent enough intro for you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. It's, it's great to finally meet you, and um, we have a lot of mutual friends. So. We have a lot of mutual friends. We do. Um, so usually, with think we're going to get to the book at the like we'll get to the book eventually because the pouring with hearts. I read some of the the manuscript, and it it is a really great story. Very, it reminds me a lot of um, Eric Alperin's book, Unvarnished. Like that was I list, I don't read too much because I, I usually just listen to the audiobooks which I really enjoy and I just like the raw the raw unabashedness of it all of like we romance it sometimes but it is really hard <laughs> yeah well he Eric's my close friend and um we're partners in the varnish together and he featured me in his book and I featured him in my book <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah he's an amazing guy and his I love his book we're Books are a little different, but yeah. Yeah. But uh, thank you. That's a compliment. So let's let's get all the way back. How'd you get into the the business to start with? Because you've you've worked with some amazing people over your career, but how'd you get the start in the very beginning? You know, I I like to say it dates back to my grandmother, who, who uh, every day was a cocktail party back in Bristol, Virginia, where I'm from, and I got the honor of serving her and her friends on my fifth birthday um mint juleps um and she, the tradition at her home was you drank mint juleps until the first firefly came out first firefly mint juleps cups go down not allowed to touch them again so i would i would made the, made the juleps cleared and then cleared them at five at when the first firefly came out she pointed it to me and um and then it was bourbon and brown water from then on so those traditions around drinking and and enjoying drinks and the camaraderie around drinking sunk into me at a very early age. But I didn't own my first bar and start working directly in the business until um, 1996 was my first bar that I opened called Liquid Kitty. Mm. And um, I was helping out. I was managing the bar, but also um bar backing there <laughs> filled in <laughs> bar backing as well i didn't officially make it to bartender but um but bartenders are my people and and i've always 
had a strong um, love of the bar world and and bartending and and uh, I'm a home bartender and and just love love the community and and uh, ever since then I've devoted my life to it. Hmm. Where was Liquid Kitty located? Liquid Kitty was in Los Angeles and West LA, and I was working simultaneously in another gig in finance at the time which I was feeling very kind of almost spiritually bankrupt in that business. Everything was about profit and I felt very isolated from my fellow employees and, and it just, so I ended up hanging in bars, closing down (laughs) bars every night. That was my love. And so opening my first bar was almost, was almost a, a side project initially and did it for, for fun and to be around people that I loved. And, uh, and then it became, I fell in love with the business and, and it's just only grown from there. That was 31 bars ago. Wow. So with, with Liquid Kitty in West LA in 1997, like I think sometimes we underestimate because I've been doing, I've been in the industry since about 1997, 98 myself. And so I've always been curious because cocktail culture in those days was very rudimentary. Like we, we talk about Dal de Groff, we talk about Audrey Saunders in New York and stuff like that. But really in 1997, it, it, there wasn't a lot of cocktail culture. We didn't really have the internet really like heavily, like we couldn't connect with people on social media. There was no social media. So what was it like when you first opened this bar? What was, what was the, the goal when you opened it? It, it was a shrine to smoking and drinking. Ironically, we uh, we we featured. I love. I have a love of martinis, and martini was our specialty. And and doing real martinis, not not apple teenies and yeah, all yeah. that <laughs> junk. I love gin martinis, and I, and so the the symbol of the bar was a flashing cigarette and a flashing martini glass. And at that time in Los Angeles, you could smoke indoors. <laughs> so we loved to enjoy enjoy a cigarette with our we actually served a camel no filter cigarette with our martini that was our signatures that's awesome (laughs) so i think we made pretty solid martinis for that time but um yeah dale's influence and influence from that i got from san francisco and new york was much later when uh, starting in 2000 2002 when i started venturing up and seeing an amazing programs in those cities so with uh with the expansion of the the cocktail scene and cocktail culture i do the one thing i do miss about bars and not being able to smoke in bars is cigar culture in bars it's the only thing like i don't really miss not smoking in bars because i remember coming home and having to like wash your hair three times before going to bed oh it's disgusting yeah yes. it was and yes. just the I green closed. water yeah, my clothes were Yeah, yeah and just the gray water pouring off you in the shower after a 12-hour shift in a nightclub was just a little too much. But I, I worked at a cigar bar at around that age too. And the amount of work we did, like pairing cigars with whiskey, it's the one thing I miss about the scene and that sort of culture of like smoking cigars and drinking whiskey is the, the one thing. But I, I do that outside now. Um, so Liquid Kitty, 1997, you start traveling in 2000, 2002, and you've got 25 bars now. You mentioned that you've done 31 bars since Liquid Kitty. And you said you're a home bartender, which I think is the, the most odd thing because you sort of look at people who get into the bar industry and open their own places and stuff like that as career bartenders and stuff like that. But it seems that for you, you have a true passion for creating spaces and then empowering people to 
empowering bartenders and and buses and barbacks and servers and whatnot to create the environment that they want to see within your space. Absolutely. I want my bartenders to take, I'm, I'm a behind the scenes person. Um, I, I like to support my teams so that they can be on the front line and do an amazing job serving, being of service to our customers and um, making amazing drinks. So we really believe in empowering our people. Uh, I, uh, I love, you know, after working in finance, I got to work, now I get to work with the most fabulous, creative, young, creative people that are so passionate about take, about the, their craft and about about taking care of their customers. Um, so I'm, I'm really blessed in that regard. So I'm doing everything I can. We have a no asshole policy in our company. <laughs> Nobody yells at anybody else. We believe in supporting each other, uh, being there for each other. And that's what our culture of our company is all about and empowering empowerment. I mean, I, we, we clearly lay out when people start as a bar back for, with us, we're, we're laying the path for them to move to bartender and then eventually into leadership so they can really build a career with us. And it doesn't have to be a part-time gig or, or even a job. We want to yeah. build careers. Do you think employees are like, we're talking about the great resignation right now and the hospitality industry is short staffed and all this sort of stuff. Me personally, I haven't had to deal with that because I've got really good people and the people that I attract are really good. Do you feel like post pandemics, I know the pandemic has put a knife in our side for the last year and a half, two years. Do you feel like post pandemic, we should have as an industry come out of it looking after our people a little bit more, but it seems like the same people are still making the same mistakes and still complaining about the, the labor shortage yeah um we feel very fortunate because our people were excited to come back to work for us and uh, our people came back right away but yeah I, I i feel like we need to as an industry take better care of our people so that they feel that they they they're not there just for the paycheck they're there to build something with 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 your bar and with your company um, so I, I think those people, when they feel that they're, that they're appreciated and that they're given opportunities to grow with your bar and with your company, that, that, that they'll be, they'll have more loyalty and they'll want to come back. Um, and the case in point with our company, because that's our, that's our primary focus and people really wanted to come back. So, um, I feel bad for the bars and restaurants that are short staffed though. I, sympathize because that must be a horrible situation coming out of this so how did you start the relationship with people like eric alperin and sasha petresky how did how did that sort of kick off when it came to your partnership with those guys yeah um very fortunate i, I met i met sasha in new york when uh, after milk and honey opened and i was a huge fan of what he was doing out there and we became uh, friends um, knew each other, but um, Eric Alperin moved out from New York to LA to work with uh, Nancy Silverton, who's a great chef in Los Angeles, and at Osteria Moza. And we, we met when he was working over there, and um, and he said he that Sasha and him were starting to look for a bar in Los Angeles, and so I said, well why compete against each other? Let's, let's team <laughs> up. We have the same, 
we have the same mentality and the same passion for the business. Um, so that, you know, based on that, we've decided to team up and open our own bar, which was, has been really successful called the varnish in Los Angeles. It seems that you and Sasha, cause I, I met Sasha in Cognac uh, 2009, 2010. Um, I was lucky enough to go to the BNIC Cognac Summit and hang out with like Salvatore Calabresi and Peter Durell. It's just a, wow. it, it was just an insane trip. Like, like it was just an insane trip. And being Sasha Petresky, and again, I'm an Australian kid who lives in Canada, who gets to go to Cognac and hang out with like the biggest names in the bar scene. Um, but it seems like you have a sort of a alignment of one thing I always loved about Sasha is that he also empowered his staff to make, make that next step. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. We have the same philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was, it, it fit perfectly together. Um, the idea of working together because he, he, he liked what, what we were doing in terms of our philosophy and our company. And, and of course we loved, I had tremendous respect for Sasha and, and just his, his passion and how much not only, Sasha's more known for his cocktails, but I, I, I in my book I, that I just just came out, I we talked about the other side of Sasha, which is really how everything he was doing was in service of the person right in front of him. Mm -hmm. He just wanted the drink to be great, but but he was so passionate about taking care of people, and and that's how he his form of his way of connecting with people was being of service to them. So when you when you partner up with a finance background, I always find when I when I sit down with clients or uh, people who want to open bars and restaurants and stuff, if they're industry people, it's usually very passion driven. And then if it's uh, a business, it's very just business minded. How much profit I'm going to make at the end of the day? How do you balance that off with as you start bringing these people up who usually are very passionate, are super super like creative? sometimes they have that sort of business acumen that you kind of want if you're going to partner with someone in a bar scene. Um, how do you sort of balance that out so you don't stifle their creativity and passion, but also make them understand that if you don't make money, the lights don't stay on and that that little project that you love is going to disappear. How do you balance that off? As like, Because I feel like you have both you have both sides of the brain. You have the analytical financial side and then the side that you want them to be creative and passionate because you want to, you want to sit at the bar and enjoy that. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's it is a, a balancing act, and I I I think people that are too pat too much one way or the other are probably not going to be successful in the business. You really have to have a, some sort of business sense, um, and a and a creative sense to be successful. And 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 but the balance of those two is is where where the magic can happen. Um, you know, keep an eye on your costs and running your business in a, in a responsible way is important, but the creativity and passion, you don't want to ever stifle that or you really don't have a bar worth going to. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, um, but we, we love when our bartenders put their passion into building regulars and that's kind of what my, I think the book is industry is really about that's how you make your bar successful the more mm -hmm. regulars you build the more business you're going to build over time and i think some people forget about that and focus sometimes too much just on the cocktail and not really on in putting their heart out to their guests and being mm -hmm. there for their, for their guests um and what i love about sasha is he brought both to the table and i think people forget 
sometimes forget to bring bring them both. I think maybe the cocktail is enough to, mm -hmm. to build regulars, but sometimes you're serving drinks that people don't relate to if you're not in tune with what your guest wants is really looking for. That little echo chamber that a lot of people live in when it comes to social media and they read a liquor.com article or something like that. And it's like, oh, this is what I got to do. I'm like, well, no. But yeah, like it's always funny because I run a hotel lobby bar in Victoria, BC, mm -hmm. which is a, a city of 385,000 people spread very, very wide. But like downtown is like 160,000 people. So it's a very small city. And mm -hmm. it's always fun when the hotel guests or tourists come and sit at the bar and they're like, oh, well, you guys are really busy now. I'm like, yeah, but 90% of my clientele are locals. Like only 10% of my clientele are hotel guests and tourists, hotel guests that just come downstairs, tourists mm -hmm. who track us down. But like most of my clientele are all locals who come once to twice a week, every single week to a hotel lobby bar in Victoria, BC. <laughs> right. You've got a lot of regulars that I got to come visit and definitely and take and muscle up to the bar and get a drink with you. I can look forward to it. So let's let's talk like you you partnered with Sasha and Eric for Varnish. What year did Varnish open? It's been over 10 years now, isn't it? Yeah, we opened in 2008 or 2009. It was either 2008, 2009, right in there. Um, so, yeah. And then we also opened up another bar together called Half Step in Austin. Uh, also with our partner, our partners, Eric Needleman and, and uh, Chris Bostic out there. Mm -hmm. So two bars with partnered with, with Sasha on. And Eric and I have gone on to do some other projects to, together as well. Um, and Eric is now a partner in all our 25 bars. He's an investor and partner wow. in all 25. Um, incredible guy and and uh, a, a, a true, truly uh, amazing uh, legendary bartender in his own right, Eric. And so what, what drew you to Austin of all places? Um, it was funny because, um, you know, we're about building careers for our people. Chris Bostic still... A, a great friend and incredible bartender and and um, voice in our industry and he was our general manager of of the varnish at the mm -hmm. time he said well i'm planning to move back to austin to open my own bar and um and i told him you know we're family man and you're not doing it without us we, we were we're all in let's we'll partner up and do it together and uh and that was the beginning of it. And we, we began, you know, searching with him and finding that bar and together. And, and then Austin became, we, we fell in love with Austin. Fortunately, that was several years ago before it became the hot market that it is now. <laughs> um, and we've done really well in that city. We're building our, we're building a brew pub there now on Rainy, oh, Street, nice. on Rainy Street. And we've opened five, five bars there so far. Wow. Wow. When it comes to concepts and stuff like that, obviously, I from your portfolio that I sort of browsed over, you don't double down on a lot of things. Like there's not going to be sort of a death and company style, like death and company New York, death and company LA, death and company Denver, that sort of thing. Um, when it comes to like varnish, varnish isn't going to, you don't seem to double down on concepts. You seem to like always be doing new ones based around the people you have. Um, when it comes to these things, has anyone ever brought an idea to you and you're like, that's not going to work? Or they brought an idea. It's like I didn't even think about that. That's going to be awesome. You know, um, most of our concepts we 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 are, are internal now. We don't 
really do joint ventures outside of mm. our company anymore now. We've kind of got our team and got an incredible team. So we have uh, derive our concepts internally. Um, but, you know, people pitch me all the time on, on terrible concepts and, <laughs> and uh, crazy ideas. But, uh, but now, you know, I'm, I'm initially, I was the one concepting a lot of our bars and, and designing and creating, but now I'm, I'm, I've, I've uh, passed that on to my team and, and um, em empowering them um, to come up with concepts. We have a whole team of development team and concept team now. Oh, wow. That's, uh, that's involved on the creative side and development side. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's been a lot of fun, really creative people and really creative ideas. And I love bouncing ideas off them, but we no longer do outside joint ventures. Sometimes it just led us in a path of like conflicting, uh, mm -hmm. you know, where, where the, we would agree on the concept, but then I, the, just the culture, it was a culture mm -hmm. class between our two styles of managing people and so forth. So we decided to move, move away from that direction. Mm -hmm. We're grateful for the relationship we built with Sasha and Eric Alperin though. Yeah. yeah. So you've got 25 bars right now. We talked about it in the green room and I, I saw a, a quote from you. You want to do 2030 careers. So 2030 career employees by 2030. So that's just over eight years away, um, which you said that you're going to have to do 170 venues to get that sort of number. Yeah, approximately. We'll need to have about 170 venues by 2030. Wow. That's that's a serious expansion. It is. And, um, you know, the key thing is we're building careers. That's how we measure our success is mm -hmm. by the careers we build for our people and uh, not by the money we make. We look at money, the money we make, which we're very successful with our bars. We have incredible margins and profits but we what we do is we pour our profits back into building careers mm -hmm. and uh, we want to live live up to taking care of our people and the more we have our cus our staffs back the more harder they work towards building careers for their people it's just been a, a beautiful um a beautiful we have a beautiful culture and i'm so grateful for the amazing people we have um even one kid that started as a bar back with me 15 years ago now, it just became the CEO of the company. Jesus, that's awesome. Yeah. So all our top leadership people started as barbacks with us, really. It's um so it's really alive in our culture that everyone's mm -hmm. got an opportunity to do great things. We we joke, I'm I'm a misfit myself and we're basically four hundred misfits now, but together we can do great things and uh and all of us are capable of great things. And so that's kind of what we'd like to tell our people. If you if you meet our our values and are willing to work hard, you're you're gonna move up in our company and you're gonna do great things. And we just want everyone to have that opportunity. Um so the so now our culture is so strong that the growth is really motoring itself. Even despite the pandemic, we added four bars to our team, four four more bars. I think we're opening nine next year and 12 the following year. Wow. So, um, and it's just accelerating and, uh, 
and it's really internal growth or it almost feels organic. We just have an incredible team of creative people that are so motivated to build these careers for, for their fellow misfits. You know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's unheard of in our industry. Our industry is just sort of, we, we, we grow up and we mature in the industry is like this turn and burn mentality. Like everybody's replaceable, but I'm like, yeah, people aren't replaceable. And that's no. that story, that story of a 15, like 15 year career with the same company going from bar back to CEO is amazing. I'm getting goosebumps. It's amazing. Oh, well, thank you, Sean. I'm so proud of it myself. Andrew's Andrew Abrahamson certainly deserved it. He's an incredible, he was an incredible bartender. He's, and he's an incredible leader. And uh, we think we have one of the best CEOs in, in hospitality. He's just an incredible leader. So we're really proud of him. But we have tons of them, women rising through the ranks rapidly. And that are, we have tons of female GMs now. And, and we're, I think we're looking at one that's going to be moving to director soon. We're excited about her. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really a great company to be associated with it's it's become bigger than me i'm yeah. <laughs> I, I initially started it but now it's become this this and it's fun to be part of something bigger than yourself that's mm. really doing doing great things what's uh so you're in colorado california and texas right now with this sort of expansion are you going to stay to those states or have you got plans for like mass expansion you're going to go to the east coast uh are you, are you expanding on the on the West Coast into different states as well? Yeah, we're targeting cities that meet our criteria a criteria that were uh, of inexpensive rents with lots of job opportunities and and we also want inexpensive homes. We need to move out of California for that so that our so that our people can afford to buy homes in the, in those communities. That's our, our our dream is that people can build careers with us and also buy homes. Um, in this business. And uh, so that's why we're now we're moving out of of uh, Austin because now it's become expensive as California. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. So we're going into San Antonio now, but we, we have three other cities in, in Texas we like. We're planning to go into um, a lot of states. Uh, we love Louisville, Kentucky, Memphis, Nashville. We're almost priced out of um, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Reno. There's a lot of great markets out mm. there that we that we love, and uh, so um, we're excited. Denver is a great market, and Colorado in general, so beautiful out there, and it's still lots of opportunity in our minds. Do you think uh, as the rents? Because I think sometimes we talk about culture and small cities and and the the cocktail scene or craft beer or whatever it may be. Do you think? rent for a lot of entrepreneurs is going to be a major factor in the long-term growth of these smaller cities. Like right now, like BC is very expensive for rent commercially. We're a little bit lower now because of post-pandemic, a lot of landlords lost long-term leases and stuff like that. So leases are a little bit cheaper post-pandemic, but I think the, do you think the expansion of cocktail culture and well, drinking culture in general is going to come really down to like how much rent you're willing to pay? Um, well, I think it's it's a business, so you, the longevity of your business is based on the financial health of the business. So, mm -hmm. if you pay too much in rent, you're going to be giving all your profits to your landlord when you could be motivating your staff and giving bonuses, and and uh, and then those profits 
that we pull out of our venues are also helping us build future careers for our people. So we need our venues to be profitable. So we, we were pretty strict in terms of the amount of rent we're willing to pay. And, and we believe bars are destination oriented mm. and that you don't need to be in a busy shopping mall, for example, to be, to be successful in a bar with a bar that you can afford, you, you can pay less rent to be in mm -hmm. basements or in, in up and coming neighborhoods that, that where you don't need to pay a lot of rent. Yeah, it's the one thing I found about San Antonio when I visited a couple of years ago is like very spread out. Like it's there's not really like a there's nowhere you can like sort of go cocktail bars and bounce like walk between cocktail bars. It's like I go to this cocktail bar or this drinking establishment, then I catch a cab to this one, and then I catch a cab to this one, and you sort of bounce around a little bit like Portland as well. Yeah, it is. It is like that. It is a little bit was like that in Los Angeles till we decided to kind of build a. <laughs> To build really uh, um, our goal initially the first 10 years was to build 10 bars in in downtown LA and create this kind of um, nexus of where you could bar hop from bar to bar mm. bar hopping district and now that's the busiest dis bar district <laughs> in the city which is great but at the time it was down and out to say the least yeah um, so we were able to secure cheap cheap leases and really kind of create our own bar district which was which, which worked out great and we think we can do that in other cities potentially too while still supporting that city and that community in a mm. great way so let's get to the book um how long did, like when was the the time that you were like you know it's because i think everybody bartending wise or like industry wise at some stage once they get to a certain age um is like you know what i need to write these stories down and i need to do it but writing a book is not the easiest thing in the world to do what was the the catalyst for you to go you know what it's time for me to to write a book you know i was i i was one of those kids in school that could barely finish a book report so <laughs> I, I i i don't know how i was able to write a book but um at some point, I, I, within our company, we have a book club, and um, we're all reading books every month and talking about them. And I got really inspired by a few of the authors, Simon Sinek in particular, who's an amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, I love his books, and 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 I, I, I just started thinking, like, if I could, if I could write about, I just just loved, related so well to his philosophy. Um, it, related so much to the way we ran our company, but he had a great way of verbalizing it. And so what I really believed in doing was taking what hit the way he verbalized his things and write a book about the bar industry in that, in that way, because up till now, most of the books for our industry are really cocktail books and that's mm -hmm. about it. There's no, there's not really books out there about the philosophy of bartending and, and, uh, and kind of that handbook for, bartenders and young people in, entering our industry to to help them philosophically prepare to build a career in the business and that, mm. that was the, that was the idea of the book um you know you've been in the industry for a while so have i <laughs> so i really wanted to impart whatever i've learned and we've learned the hard way mm -hmm. to young people and give them a chance to be successful in the business that's why I have a podcast. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, so how long did it take you to write it? It took about three years. 
Okay. So, yeah. So I started before the pandemic, but the pandemic really gave me time to really even get more passion about helping our industry. And, and uh, we set up this charity so that all the proceeds from the book, uh, profits from the book go to this charity that helps bartender, it helps out our bartenders in case they get sick or fall down a flight of stairs or we'll get hit by a car, God forbid, and miss their shifts. So they have a little bit of a golden parachute in case that happens. Amazing. Yeah. So amazing. Um, so with, with that, like obviously the book's doing quite well. I know I, I talked to you in the green room before we got on that. You've been doing podcast after podcast after podcast. When it comes to attention like this, is it something that you're used to now or is it something that's sort of a little bit foreign as like, well, it seems like you're, you definitely are the guy in the shadows and the, in the background sort of like helping out people. How has the, uh, the shift to being like the center stage, um, been for you? Well, I'm, I'm one of those people. I think Sasha was like that too, that I, I don't mind the limelight as well as, as long as I'm helping other people mm -hmm. when it's about me, I get a little uncomfortable about <laughs> it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just a regular regular guy another misfit that loves loves bars like the just like the rest of us and uh i just have I've been so fortunate to have the chance to be in this business and be successful and be surrounded by such great people every day so um so as long as his attention is going towards selling the book and helping raise money for other people i feel good about it that's amazing so with this post-pandemic environment we've talked about staff and we've talked about obviously taking advantage of these the lower rents and then leveraging the sort of these new markets that you're going into what do you see trend wise for bars and restaurants going forward because obviously you you've got a finger on a pulse that i don't think i've ever talked to someone quite like yourself when it comes to seeing emerging markets and i'm sure this is a this is because of your financial background but like seeing emerging markets and growing them where do you see the next two years not just for you but the hospitality industry in general you know I, none of us have a crystal ball so i wish i i knew exactly what was going to happen in the next two years um let's hope we're through the the worst times in terms of this the pandemic and and so that we can all i think we all have scars and our industry needs to heal in, in certain ways and, and find focus and find a voice again. Um, I think we were, we were kind of kicked to the curb as an industry by, by, um, local politicians and so forth. And, and, and that hurts, you know, being blamed for the pandemic and for being super spreaders mm -hmm. and, the and, and, and losing so many great bars and restaurants in our country, independent operators, and some and losing people in our industry, great bartenders that were doing an amazing job. And we thought we were, they were going to be with us a long time and that left the industry. So I think we're in a healing process. And we and, you know, I think the industry is going to emerge stronger than ever. Um, but I don't have a crystal ball for what exactly what it's going to look like. But hopefully, I, I, I think we're, we hope we can inspire other people in the industry to be to stick with the industry and be passionate about it and take pride in the industry and to take better care of their their staff mm -hmm. and take better care of their customers and um, 
and focus on bringing bring, creating regulars and and driving more success to their to our industry in the long term. Have you got a copy of your book beside you? I do. Throw it up. Throw it up and show I, everybody what it looks like. Yeah, this is this is the book, and um, my co-author was Eric Cardona that helped me out with the book, and he he uh, used to bartend for me at Seven Grand. He was a legendary bartender, one of my bars, and uh, he now has graduated into being a s- successful screenwriter in Los Angeles. That's awesome. So, yeah, so I hit him up to help me out, just kind of clean it up in the end. I, I had a written book, but it needed a little bit of a little cleaning up, and he helped me do that and get the book done the last last twelve months or so. So, but Amazing. yeah, please, it's we're available on Amazon and come, coming to many bookstores hopefully, and and we have it's a hardcover paperback, and we recorded an audio version that's going to be coming out. awesome next year as well so that's what i'm looking forward to because i just listen to it while i'm like setting up the bar or prepping and stuff like sitting in bed and reading for now it just doesn't do it for me (laughs) yeah i love the audiobooks too i can just (laughs) you can just crush the audiobooks yeah i can do it while i'm walking my dog and so forth but when i find a good book i like to buy both because Mm -hmm. it really and i can really uh, dive a little bit deeper i feel too so so we'll, I'll finish up the show now, but like where, if people want to follow you on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and all that sort of stuff, uh, is it just Sid Moses? Um, yeah, but what I'm, I don't really have a presence personally. <laughs> we're, we're a team. And uh, so it's www.pouringwithheart.com. Uh, Come to pouringwithheart.com and, and we have a website. We have social media for our company and all our bars available through there and um please follow us and and uh and anybody in the street looking for to to join our cause please please mm-hmm. join us as we build bars across the country one other thing i wanted to mention every gm that start as soon as you move to gm with us you earn shares in the future of the company too oh. not only in the bar you're in but in all our bars so you become part of our growth and so we can all win together and build uh, better bars. That's amazing. Like, I'm hoping that uh, I'm hoping that a couple of operators and I'm hoping a couple of younger industry people listen to this because I have a really weird demographic. Like, I have a big chunk of older demo and a big chunk of younger demo because um, everybody in the middle of that already know everything. Um, I'm just playing. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm hoping because like the the culture and the philosophies uh just like outstanding as i i align with a lot of what you were saying and what you've said like in a big way for my team especially but that you you just taken it to another level so i'm hoping uh some operators go oh maybe that's why i have such a high turnover rate and low retention like maybe i'm just being a dick yeah could be our our, (laughs) yeah we have um our turnover rate is only 20 percent, so we're we're kind of the flip of what the industry standard yeah, is. Exactly. Yeah. Which is just insane. Yeah. But so, so we're, but you know, we've got, we all got to take better care of our people. And I think it's mm-hmm. a good lesson from the pandemic. Hopefully we can all get better at, we're trying to get better as an organization, taking care of our people as well. So. Perfect we, note to finish on. I appreciate your time, sir. All right. Thank you so much, Sean. I'm glad we, this time 
Yeah, I'm glad I did. I'm glad you answered my email after I ghosted you for almost a month. So <laughs> I was actually in Vancouver doing a project when you when you emailed me, and I had so much stuff to do in while I was there with the big project. I got a distillery opening, and uh, yeah, I just it just slipped my mind. So I really appreciate you taking the time, and I I'm going to definitely track down a copy of your book from Amazon, and I'll when the audio book comes out, I'll definitely be grabbing a copy. Perfect. Thank you so much. No, thank you so much. I'll I'll chat to you really soon. You too. I look forward to raising a glass together someday. Eventually. Eventually. Thank you, Sid. Cheers. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, Pose Shifters. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I really enjoy sitting down with friends and peers and uh, just chatting about the industry and getting down to the nuts and bolts of what's really going on out there. Uh, make sure you like, subscribe, comment, everything on all the platforms. Just hit it up and I'll do my best to answer any queries or questions you have. I'll see you next week, guys. Bye.